Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. I'd like to read a passage of Scripture to you in just a moment. Essentially, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this passage uh, before I read it. This is actually a passage that I memorized, and I was raised uh, with the uh, King James Version of the Bible, uh, and, uh, and so uh, that's, that was uh, translated in 1611. Uh, and if you've tried to read the King James Version of the Bible and you didn't grow up with it, you will notice immediately there's been some changes in language that has occurred since then, which is why that we rarely use it in church now. But if you are an English-speaking Christian, uh, and uh, as you mature in your faith and you love the English language, at some point in your life, you will need particularly to know some of the swellingly beautiful passages of this magnificent version of the scripture, because there was a time when that was the Bible for almost all English-speaking people everywhere, Protestant and Catholic alike, because it was just a, kind of a masterpiece of English literature. And one of those beautiful passages is the one that I'm going to read to you today. We used to read them a lot, read this passage a lot for uh, weddings. Uh, in fact, I guess every other wedding would, uh, would have this passage in it uh, because it's a love poem. But it's not really a, a poem uh, of a wife to a husband or a husband to a wife. It's actually the poem, uh, a love poem of a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law, which is a magnificent, beautiful thing. And I'm going to tell you the story about this poem and why it's here. And I want us to answer some questions today and hear some questions that God may be asking us about what it means to live in community with God and with others. Listen to the word of the Lord, the first chapter of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab, and they continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was, was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the women was left of her two sons and her husband. And she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of that place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant also that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, 
And they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they could be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope that I should have a husband also this night and also bear sons, would you tarry for them until they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughter. It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back to her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And here's the poem. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death will part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking. And so the two of them went until they come to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. The Almighty hath de dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again, empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty afflicted me? And so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, and returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And so begins a short little book that I hope everyone will go home and read today. It'll take you a half an hour. It is one of the most piercingly beautiful pieces of scripture in the entire Bible. This is the grandmother of, uh, of, um, of David the king, or great-grandmother. So let me set up the story. All throughout human history, people have had to leave their mother, uh, their motherland. Sometimes they're leaving family and friends, graveyards where their families are buried, and they've gone somewhere else because something has happened in their country, maybe a famine as in this case, uh, or war, pestilence of some kind, and they have to leave. Uh, it's a bitter and difficult thing to leave one's own country and go try to find home somewhere else. I've done that twice in my life. Uh, when my, I was a child, my parents uh, left. We, were, uh, we lived in southern West Virginia. My family had been there since before the Revolutionary War uh, when it was just a wilderness. And... Uh, uh, all my ancestors are buried in one place or two places, like just a few miles apart. I can go and find them all. I know where their headstones are. I just buried my mother uh, just a little over a month ago. She wanted buried back there, so we took her home, buried her on the hill with all her folks going way back. 
They're all there. And sometimes when I'm there, which is not too often now, I'll just walk and I'm like, yeah, it's my great-grandparents. I said, this was their parents. I know their names, but I didn't know them. And this is a, how is this connected? And I'll ask somebody. There's always somebody around can say, oh, well, that's easy. They were, we carry these, these kind of lineages in our head. When you're from the mountains, you know who your folks were, who you're connected to, and what, what surnames belong together and where they traveled together, perhaps from uh, Ireland or Scotland or Wales, as the case may be in the mountains. That's what this family had. That's what this family was living. They suddenly, uh, the word Bethlehem means house of bread, by the way. But there was famine in the house of bread. They had to leave. They had to go somewhere else. They went to the neighboring uh, country of Moab. Always a lot of conflict between Moab and Israel in the Bible. So they went to a place where there was quite a bit of friction. They had no choice. But there was, there was work. In Moab, there was none where they were. And so they became immigrants. This man and his wife and two little boys. They were living there in Moab and they, I don't know how long they lived. They lived long enough for the boys to marry and they married women there because they were assimilating into the new culture. And that's a difficult thing. I remember going to school and not knowing the language and trying to figure my way around and eat new foods. And sometimes, most of the people were nice, but sometimes folks were like, why are you here? And you don't look like us. And, and uh, it's always given me a tender spot in my heart for people that are immigrants. And as the years went by, then suddenly I find myself living a new kind of life, speaking another language and living a new kind of life. And then after a few years, I thought, well, this is probably where I'll live, and it's okay. Made a new home. My sister's married there, and now I have family that were Latin Americans, and uh, I did come home to the United States, went to school, married an American woman, and then we went back to Latin America to live, and thought that's where we would live. I pastored my first church in Managua, Nicaragua, and uh, so we lived many years there, finally ending up in Montreal, Quebec. We thought we were starting a Spanish-speaking church, but it, it was ended up being a French-speaking church because that's who came. Uh, and so we had to learn another language and immigrate again. And, and, uh, and I belonged to a denomination that that wasn't working out, so I thought I would go, well, I can go. I'm a citizen of the United States. I can go and live there for a while and get, you know, find some way to return to this work. But as the years went by, <clears throat> in a way, I'm an immigrant to my own country for that reason. I always, there's things I miss because there was many years of film and music and everybody my age will know something. And I'm like, oh, I'm not quite catching on to that. And so I can sense that sometimes people are like, well, he looks like us, he's kind of like us, but there's something weird about this guy. What's, what is there about it? That's the life of uh, immigrant people. So Naomi now is accustomed, she and, and uh, her husband and her sons, and now she has two daughters-in-law, and they're waiting for grandchildren probably, and it's going to be a, a, a new life. It's the old things have passed. The old country's far away. This is our new life now. We're here. And then tragedy struck. The husband dies. The two boys die. 
And Naomi, um, she thinks about it for a while, but her daughters-in-law are living with her as in times past in lots of countries now, extended families live together. And, uh, and so she has her daughters-in-law with her and one day she makes a decision. I need to release my daughters-in-law to start their life and they belong here. And I was ready to be here. I was ready to make my life in Moab and take on their ways and all, but that time's over for me now and I've lost everything. I still have some family back home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to release my daughters-in-law from their obligation to me. And I'm, that's what I'm going to do. And so she announces this to them. And I'm like, no, don't do this. And so she starts walking to the border. And they're going with her and they're crying. But we love you. We've, we've made family together. And she said, yes, but that family didn't work out. You're going to have to make yourself new families now. I mean, I can't give you any more children. And if I was able to have a husband even now and there would be children on the way, it doesn't work. It's, you're not going to wait for them, no. I, I, this is over. This, this, this family has dissolved. and I'm going to have to move on. Very, very painful. Once again, this woman that once has gone through all this now has to go through it again. But her daughters-in-law also are going through something painful. And they both are grieved. But watch one of them loving her mother-in-law, but accepts the facts. This family, as it has been known, is over. And, and uh, so this has been dissolved. And I'm going to go back. I'm going to find me a husband. I'm still young. I'm going to have a family. And she's grieving the turning of this page. But the other one, Ruth, says no. No, I've made a new family with you. He says, no, you go back. You worship the way you worship back in your country. You go with your customs. You eat your food. You find you a husband there, a good Moabite husband. You've been good to me, and I love you, but I'm releasing. No, where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people, and so forth. And uh, I, I just, the, just the, Beautiful words just ring in our hearts. And no wonder so many brides have chosen this to be read in their wedding. What does this story tell us? It tells us something important. The critical information that this book tells us is that families are purposefully built. Families are not just blood-related folks that are automatically a family just because. In the last many years, uh, we've developed this term that we hear it so much now, it's a cliche about this dysfunctional family. I've got news for you that every family here is dysfunctional, but that's another uh, subject. There is a mythical functional family that we all want to find, and I, they're somewhere, you know, we're going to find them one of these days, and here they are, we finally found them. But even Abraham's family was dysfunctional. You can read it, and it was just, you know, so, but functionality is, is something we aim for. But 
if we can say what is the kind of quintessential dysfunctional family, it's the family that thinks it's a family just because people have been begat in a house and they're blood-related. Because you can be related by blood and, you, and there's a stirring there. There is a connection of blood. If they need you to, you know, and in, 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 in the mountain culture, it's like, uh, you know, we're always fighting our brothers and sisters until we get in fights with our cousins. And then the brothers and sisters join to fight the cousins. But if, if the tribe across the mountains start fighting our cousins, they call on us, and so now we're on the sides of our cousins fighting those other people. So it's not so much that we're all in love with each other, but that we just hate the others more than we hate the ones that are close to us. <laughs> and I would say that's dysfunction. It's kind of like the way nature works. But nature does not really produce a family. Nature just begets children. And really, you can beget pretty easily with equipment you can find around the house. It doesn't take a lot of intelligence to beget. <laughs> and so an awful lot of people beget that have no intentions, no knowledge of, no desire to, no commitment for building a family. Somewhere along the lines, and we're all in that shape when we usually first get married, but somewhere along the line, it kicks in the responsibility we have. And we begin to realize that if a family is going to be a, a wholesome, life-giving family, it's going to have to be built. And most of us will have in our families that, that grandmother or aunt, usually uh, some older woman in the family, that sends out the cards and underlines every single word in the card. Can I see? Is that a thing now still? Or is that like, yeah, you're, some of you know what I'm saying. It's like, so they go and buy the card, and then they underline every, it, they, they don't get that when you underline every word in something, then no, line is un, no word is underlined. It's for emphasis, right? Uh, so, and so we get it, and it's like, and it's got a $5 bill in it, you know. <laughs> but you can go to Starbucks and get a coffee. Uh, and, but, but what are they doing? And, and, and I, uh, in my family, my grandmother did this, my mother did this, I have aunts that do it. And, and so they've got this list, and, and they're spending quite a bit of their money on, on this, buying the cards and putting the $5 bill or whatever. And they're going through, oh, it's, you know, it's this uh, day of the month, and so I better send out the card to so-and-so. And so they've got, sometimes it's really out there, like, Children, grandchildren, uh, cousins, and and the children of my cousins, and and my family that would break somebody because I have 54 first cousins on one side. I guarantee, if you'd ask my grandmother to name all of her grandchildren, she could do it. My my grandmother's name was Naomi, and she was a family built. My cousin. I have one of my cousins. I have a cousin that's really dear to me that uh, lives in Louisville. And one day, I don't hear from her a whole lot. One day, I get a text from her. Whatever you're doing, cancel all your appointments and come to me. I need you. My mother has died. She never abused that kind of 
relationship, but she knew that if she asked me, I would do it. And if she texted me right now, I would wrap this up and I would go. She's done that once. But she knew she could call on it. Why do we have this relationship? Because we had a grandmother that made sure that we were being built as a family. So I traveled to West Virginia and met her. I got there shortly after she got there. And I got out of the car and she ran to me and put her shoulder on my my, her head on my shoulder and began to cry. And I held her for a while. And then she said, okay, thanks. She was gone. She had things to do. <laughs> I saw her after the funeral. It's, families are weird. <laughs> Naomi, Na, Naomi is a family book. So what happens here is Ruth has her same spirit. But she didn't know it until her mother-in-law says, I'm dissolving our family unit. Nope. No, you're not. You're not doing it. Well, yes. And your, 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 uh, uh, your other fellow sister-in-law, she's gone. What do you call them? Sisters-in-laws-in-laws or whatever. She's gone. You go after her. That's it. Nope. Not going to do it. I'm going with you. And I'm like, no, no I'm going with you. If, if I get struck dead right here, I'm going with you. Well, but I've got different ways. I've got a different God. I'm going with you. It was ending. But somewhere now, the wheels are turning. And Naomi is saying, what can I do now to build a family? I don't have any sons. I can't have any children in this family. How am I going to make a family? And the wheels are turning. Meanwhile... There is a man, he probably wasn't that old, but for that culture, he was unmarried, and that was bizarre, and he was a landowner. And in those days, and in the Bible, that if the poor people could go and take the gleanings of the field, which means after the farmers have gone through and taking the easy-to-get grain, everybody could go on the ground and pick up the grain that had fallen and the poor people. And so Naomi says, you know, we'll, we're going to have to work because we're here alone now, just the two of us. And so you go uh, over here to Mr. Boaz's field, and they're good people. They'll, uh, so she goes. She's a foreign woman. She hardly knows what to do. She's just watching them do their work. She's picking up. And then this older man, like, I like Dick. And he becomes interested in her. Anyway, as time goes on, she realizes He's telling the workers, spill some more grain over there for that young lady. I want her to have everything she wants. And if she picks up the wrong thing, don't say anything to her. She's foreign. She, says, she doesn't know. Just let her alone. And she tells her mother-in-law. And Naomi like, aha. I love the phrase where she said, he will not rest until this matter is resolved. So much in that, right? <laughs> so anyway, they had to sleep on the threshing floor at night because... Uh, out there, you know, they didn't have time to get home because they get up really early in the morning. And, uh, and, and so this, this guy is like, he's, he's walking around and he's trying to figure things out. He's been smitten. He doesn't know what's going on. And it seems like Ruth doesn't really understand either. But Naomi, oh, family is coming. She tells Ruth what to do. And little by little, we begin to watch Things unfold. 
And finally, Boaz and Ruth are married. How does Naomi know how to build a family? Because she is a child of a covenant-making people. Even though you can read the Old Testament and you can see all the time the people of God fail at this miserably, nonetheless the instructions are all there about how you can make a family and what happens when somebody dies, how you're to protect the children and what happens when a widow is left alone and how do you bring them not only to make sure that they have uh, food to eat in a house, over, but to make sure that they have community. You don't leave anybody out and there's this preoccupation all the way through that even the strangers and the foreigners you have to work with somehow trying to bring them in, finding ways to bring them in, going out and finding them, finding them a place. Don't let anybody be stragglers. This is all the way through the Old Testament. And this faith that we have inherited that now as Christ has come has become our own is a religion that does not work as an individualistic religion. I know we're not supposed to say religion anymore. We'll go to the dictionary and look it up and see. We're just playing with words. Find another word. If, it, if you don't like that one, find another word. Call, you call it community if you like. Because that's what it is. Uh, and people say, I don't want religion because religion means obligation. Oh, well, guess what? There's obligation. Boaz can't just say, I like you, you like me. That's the end of it. There is a process. There's a process to making this foreign woman a part of his family. He has to go through the process. But then at the end of that book, by the way, interesting thing, it says, and so Naomi, who had lost her children, now has children born to her house and is called blessed. And so we get David the king out of all of this, right? Isn't it amazing? Here's... This has already gone too long, but I felt like the Lord would have me to talk to you about this today because a church begins talking about what are we going to do that's a little different that, will, that people need. So we're needs focused. And it's individ the individual focus, the individual need. Well, if people don't like this, we better do it this way. If people don't like that, we don't like this way. And, and you, you have to have some mutually agreed upon uh, things that is life-giving to everybody, of course. But at some point, there has to be some people, at least, who are dedicated not only to making sure that individuals, uh, individual needs are met, but there is a community being built. And that community becomes your spiritual home. And I'm going to tell you something. All churches are dysfunctional. If you've ever left a church because it was dysfunctional and you went to the new church, you're like, oh, it's better than the old church because it has this instead of that. But then after you're there a while, like, oh, heck, I don't like this. Huh? And so there's some people's like, well, and so they keep going and finally they, they reestablish the perfect reconstituted New Testament church of Jesus Christ in their living room and there's five people and it's blessed for a few weeks and then they realize one of those people are like okay 
okay, there's a bad apple in here. Isn't it true? Yeah, it's, it's just true wherever you go. I mean, it's true in your family, right? You ever have family reunions? So you share all the political opinions of your family, right? You listen to the same music that your family listens to, right? No. So if, if you're with your, do you ever have this experience? You're going to have a family reunion. You go like, oh, yeah, I'm so glad. Oh, we're so glad to see you. And then after a few hours, you're like, who are these people? <laughs> what do I have in common with these people? And guess what? The, the household of faith is just like that. That's why there's Presbyterians and Methodists and Catholics and Pentecostals. And there's 960 types of charismatics. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and every one of them are saying, well, that's God, God's doing a new thing. The old thing's not good, but we're starting a new thing. And then after a while, it's like, well, we better borrow some of the old stuff because we've got new. And, and after it, this, at some point, we have to mature and realize God's called us together to do certain kind of things. And we have certain personalities and our cousins have other personalities. They have other things they're doing. And, but we're called to be a family here. And so I want to leave you with this today. I want to ask the Lord if he would cause some of you to think about how you can work at being the ant that underlines all. And people like, they don't know what to do with you. And they're like, oh, okay, Aunt Bertha sent me this card. And I don't know. Oh, gosh. Uh, and when we think how hokey, and then one day Aunt Bertha's gone, and we're like, we would like to receive a card. Somebody has to be called to be there. Maybe you're that person. You're that person that when somebody comes in and they're new, you're not just doing it because we got to build up the congregation, and that's a real live person, and they're breathing. So, but you you stop a moment and find out where they live, what their story's about. You share coffee with them. Even if you don't have anything in common and you disagree with everything just about they say, you don't even know why they're here. You're glad to see them and you work at bringing them in like a Naomi, like a... I think I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, like lots of people here, I, I have had a lot of disappointments and disillusionments in your family. Sometimes I read your word and I'm like, what a scandalous, terrible thing the people of God did. Murderous, just treaty-breaking thugs sometimes. Some of the prophets sound so awful. Some of the passages just are so jarring. And then I've experienced it in my own life. Some people that I really cared about suddenly just turned on me and just out of nowhere just started saying things that just has left wounds and that I didn't know where it came from or why. And sometimes I've thought, I'm done with this. And then after a little while, there's somebody maybe that I think I have nothing in common with whatsoever sends me an offering or tells me they love me or that I've blessed them in some way and had no idea they felt that way. I stumble back into your house. Sometimes like Ruth, I've just 
had to say, I don't know where you're going, or I'm not sure I like the way you're doing it, but where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm going to live my life out in the context of this family that you've placed me in. Now I pray, O Lord, that some of us, especially when we're in that better place of our hearts are good toward you, we, uh, we don't have any real hurts going on, especially then. We can look around for those who are marginalized and hurt, for those that are confused, and without trying to straighten them out or get them all fixed in the way we think they should, we just bear their burdens and love them and care for them. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would plant, even in this young congregation, some Naomi's, and among some of the younger people, some Ruth's, who will just bond together just because, maybe across real differences, and say not only are we going to see that our own needs are met, we are going to build up the family of God for generations yet to come. There might be a King David down the road somewhere, maybe some child that will be born into this congregation some years from now. The world's going to be utterly changed. we got to stay together and care for one another and sometimes stumble through so that that child will have a context in which they can live their life and grow up and healthy in God. I ask your blessings on this congregation, on its people, on J.D. and Jamie and their family. And I pray, O oh Lord, for all the leaders, the board and all staff and all the people now that a new level of responsibility would fall upon them, not a heavy responsibility, but just a sense of, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be wise. I don't have to be terribly talented. I don't have to even have lots of knowledge. But I can start the journey in being a Ruth, being a Naomi, being a family-building, covenant-keeping person. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.